Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us in our series, Easter, The Jesus Way. Jesus is our ultimate example for how we should live our lives. In this series, we are looking at Jesus's ministry, from his calling to his victory over the grave. We are walking alongside his journey to the cross, to his death and burial, and then to his resurrection. Each week, we will be deep diving into chapters 15 through 21 of the Gospel of John, leading us all the way to celebrate Christ's victory over the grave on Easter Sunday. Now let's tune in. All right. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. If you have a a Bible, uh, we'd love to open up to John chapter 17. Maybe you're using an app, maybe the Rolling Hills app. You can fill out the notes there. Uh, there's also lots of other stuff that's in the Rolling Hills app that you may want to be aware of. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, uh, we'd love to give you one at the Next Steps table out in the, in the gym gallery area, as we call it. Um, there's, there's a couple there, and we would love for that to be a gift to you this morning. You can take that and uh, take it home and join us as we read through the book of John, which is where we are for the next several weeks, uh, kind of leading up to Easter. And we're in a Uh, a a series called The Jesus Way, where we're looking at kind of coming from this passage in John chapter 14, where Thomas, uh, the same Thomas that is considered doubting Thomas, right? Uh, Later on in scripture, he says that he said, Jesus answered, he asked the question, where are you going? Jesus answered, I am the way. He he said, where are you going? I don't know the way. And Thomas answered, Jesus answers, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so as we work through these passages, these these final kind of chapters in the book of John, this is really a a, a time just to kind of hear Jesus's words, kind of hear what what Jesus says in his words and his and his actions, his works, his his miracles that he performs, and and the his works on the cross, and and kind of really hear and see what's really important to Jesus. Last week we said, as we kind of worked through chapter 17 or chapter 16, that, that this is really a stretch of scripture, really from chapter 13, where he kind of begins what they call the upper room discourse. This, this the time when Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples uh, until he kind of leaves that place and ends this teaching segment. That this is this probably one of the richest pieces of scripture in, in all of the book of all of all of the Bible. And, and I, as we kind of move forward, looking at this passage of scripture, I would say chapter 17 is one of the one of the richest passages of scripture, if not the richest passage of scripture, one of the a window into God, into Jesus' heart. I, I kind of think about this passage and, and Jesus praying is what happens here in this in this passage. He prays with his disciples. And I have a group of friends, my seven of my best friends in the world, guys that I've done life with at various various times. We've lived in the same town. Now we all live in different towns. Uh, but seven guys that that are that are my closest friends. One of the guys uh, I've known for over 30 years, and I know, I'm like, you're not even that old. I'm like, I know it's 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 weird, um, but but I mean, we've been been close friends for over 30 years, and and just we do we've done life together for a long time, and you know, there's there's I've heard it said that you can really know what's on somebody's heart, what really they value by a couple things that you can know by what they talk about all the time, what they spend their money on. And, and what they spend their time on. And I would say there's one other area of life that you can find out what's really on somebody's heart. And I would say that that's through prayer. 
And when I get together with these guys, we once a year, it's coming up in April, uh, we get together. And actually, we didn't get to do this last year, so we're really looking forward to it this, this year. We spend a weekend together just hanging out, and, and just you know, all of us serve in ministry at some levels. So a couple of us are pastors, and so others serve in, in ministry context, either parachurch or whatever. And, and, and we spend time just hanging out. I laugh more during those, those couple of days than I laugh any other time of the year, right? We, 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 we share life together. There's lots of tears that flow sometimes because we're laughing, sometimes because of stories that we're telling. But throughout the weekend as we hang out, there's sometimes spontaneous, but a lot of times just times that we've set aside to say, we're going to pray for each other. We're going we're gonna to spend some time praying with and for each other. And in those moments, I really get to see a picture of what's on their hearts, through all the laughter, through the moments of tears, through all the things that we get to do in, those, in that weekend that we get to hang out together, there's a window in those moments where we pray together that you really get to know what's on each other's hearts, what we're praying for, what we're calling out to the Lord for. And when you get to this chapter 17 and Jesus prays in front of his disciples, I think we get the clearest, one of the clearest pictures in all of scripture of what God is about, of what Jesus is about, of what's on his heart. And as I, again, as I've studied this passage over the past several weeks and studied this passage years, multiple times over the past several years in, in preparing to preach on it, these 26 verses are, are an opportunity for us to listen in to the God the Son, God made flesh, speak to God the Father. And if there's anywhere else in scripture, like there, there isn't, there's nowhere else in scripture where you get to hear the, div, the divine speak to the divine. And within this, this chapter where Jesus speaks to the Father, you get to hear some of the richest parts of scripture in general. And so we're going to study these 26 verses and, and in what we study for over the next several minutes, we'll only scratch the surface of this passage and, and, and at, at any level. It, it, is, it is really such a rich passage. But before we jump in to verse one, I want to just pause and just ask the Lord just to, just to rest on us this morning and, and, and really move and open our eyes to what he has for us through his word as we, uh, as we work through it. So pray with me. Jesus, we call on you and we, we sing songs to you and sing songs about you. We sing songs declaring that your name is healing, your name is life. And in this moment, God, as we come to your word, we pray that you would do those things as we hear you speak, as we hear you calling out to the Father in these final hours before you'll be hung on a cross and die for the sins of the world, for our sins. God, we just pray that you would open our eyes to what you have for us in this passage. That we would hear your voice and see your calling on our lives and be drawn to you and transformed by you. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen and amen. So John chapter 17, verse, verses one through three is the beginning. It says, after this, so that's after the teaching, right? This whole discourse of Jesus spending time with the disciples as he's talking with them. They leave the upper room. Uh, they've, they've established the, 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 the Lord's Supper, the new covenant. And, and after this, they leave that place. And it says, he, Jesus, looking towards heaven, prays. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. 
For you have granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The first thing, if you're following along on your worship guide, just kind of as our outline, the first thing that we wanna point out is this, the timing of Jesus's prayer right? The timing, this moment uh, that Jesus takes to pray, right? And, and again, we've said it, he's, he spent this last couple of hours preaching or teaching his disciples. They've shared this meal together, instituted communion or the Lord's Supper, something we still practice today. He spent these final words, these lessons of humility and how they serve one another and share life together. And then he goes on and all of this, this timing, he recognizes their hearts are full of sorrow and he, he promises that he's going to turn that sorrow into joy and into to that moment, he prays. It's this timing of his prayer, and it teaches us a couple things about prayer in God's, in, in, in Jesus's eyes, and what it, what prayer is for us. And the first is this: there, there's a priority for us that that is that exists for prayer. The first thing that the timing of God of Jesus's prayer teaches us the priority of prayer in the life of. Christ in general, but also in believers as we go forward. Jesus says, "The hour has come." Right, he, he's, After all of this, he teaches all these things and he walks out and he says, he says, the hour has come. And this is a significant statement for us as you kind of look through the gospels because multiple times throughout the scriptures, throughout the gospel stories, the hour has not come. And then what I mean is this, that, that, that there was a point when Jesus' first miracle happened, Mary, his mother, comes to him and they're at a wedding. She says, hey, they've run out of wine, do something about it. And it's a fun exchange if you go back to it and read it. And, and he, he performs this first miracle. But before he said his response to Mary, his mother, is, my time has not yet come. And then if you go, if you continue moving through John chapter seven, which read this week in, in, in our daily steps, he says this another time, John, another time they're trying to arrest Jesus. He says that in, in John chapter seven, verse 30 says at this, at this, they tried to seize him. So he made this comment and they try to seize them and try to take him in and, and arrest him. And he says, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. But here the hour has come. And when you, when you hear Jesus say that his time has come, it's not that he's giving up. It's not that he's done with all of this. It's ultimately what, that this is the timing that, for the purpose that he came. Like this is the moment. What's, what's about to happen in the next several hours of, of, of his life before his life is, t is, is laid down on a cross is the very reason why he came. His time has come. And so this is, the, this is the moment that he was born for, born a, a child born in Bethlehem in a manger announced by the shepherds and, and declared by the angels had come. This is the moment that, 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 that he had, a, had come for. It's the moment that had been promised and prophesied throughout all of the Old Testament that this, this is the moment. It's the, it's the moment that was promised in Genesis chapter three, just after the rebellion of Adam and Eve, when, Jesus, when God said that he would send into creation one that would crush the head of the serpent. And he would bite his heel, but he would crush his head. And so just literally what this means, what we're reading right here in John chapter 17 is truly one of the most pregnant moments in all of scripture. Because in just a moment, in, 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 in literally in, in hours from this second, this heel crusher that's declared in the very opening of Scripture in Genesis chapter 3 
will be hung on a Roman cross and he would truly do what God promised he would do centuries before and bring redemption and restoration and victory for all those who would believe. And so we feel the weight of this moment as he leaves the upper room with his disciples and looks up to heaven and prays and says, the time has come. The second thing, not only is the priority of prayer and the, and, and the timing, but it's also the pattern of prayer that we see in Jesus's life in general. There's a pattern for Jesus of prayer that, that makes this moment not surprising for us. Even though it's, it, it, is, it is such an incredible moment in, in Scripture for us to read, but it's not surprising because, because Jesus has not, this is not the first time we've seen Jesus pause to pray. Right? When you, when you look through throughout, this, the, throughout Scripture, throughout the Gospels, you see him mo- over and over. He goes off into quiet places to pray, to spend time with the Lord, to spend time just with him and God. And, and, and so this is a pattern in Jesus' life. And, and, and I would say this, that just for us, if, 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 if prayer is going to be a reaction for us in the most intense moments in life, if prayer is going to be the response that's most natural in the most intense moments in life, then it's got to be a pattern for us in the day-to-day part of our, parts of our lives. And what we see with Jesus is that it, this is not just the first time that he's gone to the Father. This is a pattern for him. He's, it's not a frantic moment and, and, and that he's going to the Father. Like he's calm and walking to the Father because he's been with the Father multiple times over, the, over his life, but especially in this three years of ministry, as you walk through Scripture, you can see it over and over again. And if we want this to be the reaction, the most natural reaction in these intense moments, and it has to be the pattern that we establish in the day-to-day because the frantic world that we live in is going to sweep away moments like this if, we don't, if we're not intentional about spending time with Jesus in prayer What's also interesting is not only is it a pattern of Jesus in, in the Gospels, but it continues to be the pattern of Jesus. If you go to the, to the New Testament in Romans and 1 John and Hebrews, it tells us that what Jesus does, even at this hour, at this very moment, is that he sits next to the Father and he intercedes for us, that he prays for us, that he prayed here for the disciples and prayed, we'll see this in a second, and prayed for future disciples, and he continues to do that now. It wasn't just a pattern. It continues to be the pattern of who Jesus is. And there's a priority that he places over prayer, and it's a pattern that he establishes in the lives, in his life, and he calls us to establish in our own lives. The last thing, the last part of this is the power of prayer that we see in this timing, that Jesus understands the power of prayer, that it's the, it's the priority and it's the it's the pattern of prayer that we see, but it's the power of prayer. Jesus, Jesus had taught them. He had spoken all of the words that he needed to speak to them, all of the lessons that he needed to teach them. He had spoken to them in their last little small group session. He had finished all of those things. And, and I can't overstate how, how satisfying what, what, this, what this must be like for Jesus, right? To have finished everything that God gave him to finish. If you go to the passage, right, it says, he said, I glorified you on earth in verse four, and I've accomplished everything that you asked me to do. Everything that you gave me to do, I did it. 
I mean, you think about that, like I, as I was preparing for this and, and have read through this and studied for this passage in, in previous years and in, in, in preparation for, for preaching in this passage, every time I get to this passage, I'm like, how do we fit this all in? I mean, literally, as, I, as I'm studying, there's one pastor who's, who did eight sermons just on this chapter. Another guy, it was 46 weeks in 26 verses. And I thought I had a lot of words. I mean, can you imagine? And, and, and so like, how do you pack all of this together? But just the joy of knowing what Jesus had to experience in this moment of knowing that he's finished everything that God had called him to do. The only thing left was to lay, to lay his life down on the cross. And in that moment, after finishing all that God had accomplished, all that he had been sent to accomplish, the last thing that he does before he lays his life down is he prays. John Calvin says this, and so we just see the power of prayer and the reason why it's so important for us to pause and, and ask the Lord, invite him into these things. It says, John Calvin says this, that teaching has no power unless power is imparted to it from above. Teaching, what I do from here has no power. What Jesus, what he's saying, what Jesus has done, it has no power unless the power is imparted from above. Christ holds out an example to all teachers to employ themselves not only in sowing the word, but in mingling prayers along with it, to beg for the assistance of God and that his blessing may render their labor fruitful. And so he sets out for us a pattern. He sets out for, for teachers and for small group leaders and moms and dads as they're, 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 they're teaching their kids that our teaching has no power in and of itself unless it's mingled with the power of God, unless, it's, unless we pause and say, God, there's nothing that my words are going to do unless you, unless you season them, unless you animate them with the life that only you can bring. Jesus knew the power of prayer that when it was released, when, when prayer was released alongside that teaching, that those things would collide and it would transform their lives as we cry out, submitting our hearts to him, saying, God, would you animate this? Would you bring these truths to reality in our lives? And so he turns to the power of prayer even in this moment and say, this is, this is an example for us. But he said, God, would you do this? Would you accomplish the work in these disciples? So we see on the one side, just this priority, the timing and, and the importance of prayer, but also what we want to pause and kind of look at for the next couple of seconds is in the second thing that we're going to look at is, that, is, is what this prayer does and who he prays for, the target. You know, I, you knew I had to do two T's on that. That was kind of a, I can't, I, it's, it, it's a disease is what it is. The target of Jesus' prayer, the timing, but the target, what is Jesus praying for? And, and, and so I want us to see on the one side the importance of it, right? This priority and the pattern and the power of prayer. But on the other side, I want us to see what Jesus prays for because I think this is really important for us right now because, because even at the end of the service, we're gonna spend some time in, in doing what Jesus did and praying for our, our community and our body and, and those kind of things. And so what is it that he prays for? Because listen, when Jesus prays for it, it we probably should tune in and say that's probably important for us to pray for as well. So what does he pray for? The first thing is that he prays for himself. 
in this public place and, and with the disciples there, they're all sitting around and they, they're within hearing. He pauses and he prays and, and so he, he knows that they're gonna hear him and he wants them to hear what he's praying for. And he first he begins with praying for himself. There's a, a comedian named Jim Gaffigan and that, um, <laughs> that was funny. Just his name is funny. Um, he, has a, he has a bit that he talks about the most annoying people in the world are, are people who are in really good shape that are at the gym. And, and it, it, like he just, the, the description is, why, why are you here? Like you've already done it. Like you've already accomplished what we're all here for. Why are you still here, right? And then you're, they're annoying. And I agree uh, with that, that sentiment. I'm like, you're just trying to make us all look bad by being here, right? But, it, but when you think about this, the reality, that, I mean, here's Jesus. I mean, this is God in the flesh. This is the son of God. And he spends time praying for himself, right? He's going to, he's going to go to the father and say, God, I need you to do, to finish this, what, what's happening, what you've sent me here for. Would you glorify the son as, as I glorified so that I can glorify you? And so what he's saying, the clear lesson for us is that God is praying, that God the son is praying for himself. Then there's moments that we have to pause and look at ourselves and say, God, what is it that you're doing in our lives that we need you to finish in our own hearts? Now, God, Jesus is perfect. He doesn't need him to finish something for him, right? But he's, he's saying, I need you to finish this work. Let me, give me the strength to finish what you've called me here to do. So he says in verse three, he says, the hour has come, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you've granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you've given him. And now this is eternal life that they know you, the one and only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. One author kind of just puts it this way, just what a description of what he's praying for. He says, give, give glory to your son by carrying him through the cross and the grave to the triumphant completion of the work that he came to do. Let me finish this work. And for some of us, maybe, maybe that is truly a prayer that we need to pray because we've gotten tired of the work that we're in. Maybe it's not your job, specifically the work. Maybe it's to finish the work of, your, of raising your kids before they move out of the house. And you're, you've gotten to a point, parents, where you're just like, I'm done. These kids are driving me nuts. Kids, if you don't know this, let me tell you what your parents want to tell you. You drive them nuts sometimes. And so maybe parents, you're just saying, God, let me finish this work that you've given me. Maybe it's in your marriage Husbands and wives, where God, you've given me this incredible opportunity to shine your glory and your love and your light in this marriage, and I'm struggling right now. Let me finish with 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 boldness and and courage to walk in the in the in the calling that you have in my marriage. Maybe it is at work. Maybe it's with a friend. Maybe it's with a, a, a neighbor that you've been praying for, and and you just want to give up because that's because it, you're not seeing the fruit from it. And and what he what you're what you and I both need to do is to say, God, give us what we need to finish the work that you've called us to. That I can glorify you in finishing the work that you've called us to. So the first thing that he does is he prays for himself and you and I need to take those moments back and just say, God, would you give me that strength to finish what you've called me to do in my family, with my spouse, with my kids, with my work, with all of the, that spectrum of responsibilities that we have. And then secondly, 
he prays for his disciples. If you go to verse six, he says, I've revealed you to those whom you've given me out of this world. They are yours and you gave them to me and they obeyed your words. And now they know that everything that you've given me comes from you. For I gave them your words and they accepted them. And they knew, they knew with certainty that I came from you and that they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for, for the world, but for those that you've given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And the glory has come to me through them. So this is really a prayer of discipleship. It's a prayer for the disciples, but it's a prayer of discipleship, right? And so again, what, what's, what's Jesus's heart? What really matters to Jesus, right? One, he's completing the work, but secondly, for these disciples, he's praying that there would be, that, that they would continue to grow. He's praying for their unity with one another and with God and praying for security for them as they live in a world that's hostile to them. And, and because there's an enemy in the world that we live in and he's praying for maturity for them. If you go to verse 11, it's the, this, the, it's the prayer for unity. He says, I'll remain in this world no longer, but they will still be in this world. I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name and the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. He prays for unity for them, for them to be one with the Father. And so there's a, there's a unity in the same way that we we'll go back to John chapter 15. He says, I and you and you and me, it's, this, it's, the, it's the, the, the branch and the vine. There's a unity between God, God the Father and the disciples as we've been implanted there. So there's the, the experience of unity, the same kind of unity that the Father and the Son have. He wants Father and, and his disciples to have, but there's a second part of that unity within the brotherhood, within those, those believers and those disciples that they would have unity. They would live life together in genuine unity in purpose and in love for each other and clarity of mission that they have that Jesus has called them to. And this is the kind of unity that, that he's called us to as a church, that, and, and not just us as a church, but as the church, the Big C Church, all over the world, that we have unity with one another and, and love for each other and purpose and in mission and clarity of what God's called us to. But secondly, he prays for them to have security. He prays that while I was with them, in verse 12, while I was with them, I protected them to keep them safe. By the name that you gave me, none of them was lost except the one doomed for destruction so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Verse 13, I'm coming to you now and I say these things while I'm still here in the world with them hearing him, right? So that they may have the full measure of joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of this world anymore. They're no more than I am of this world. Jesus says, God says, Father, protect them. I've protected them while I was here, but I'm not gonna be here anymore. So I need you to continue to protect them, to protect them so that they, they don't fall away, so that, so that in a world that rejects them, in a world that it says, because they're not of this world anymore, that you would, that you would keep them and help, help them stay secure. And, and the security that he wants is not safety because we know that it's not just that they would remain safe, if you go to continue, if that's what he's asking for, then the rest of scripture would testify that Jesus' prayer was not answered. If you, if you follow through it, it, because multiple of these men lost their lives for the sake of Christ. And so it wasn't that they would just be safe physically, it's that they would not fall away. 
that he would keep them from falling away, from being tempted by the enemy that wants to destroy them by a world that's, that rejects them because they follow Jesus. And so his prayer for security, for safety for them is that they would remain steadfast and obedient to him no matter what the cost. In verse 15, he says, my prayer is that you wouldn't take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one for they are not of this world, even as I am not of the world. So he wants them, he, wa he wants them to remain steadfast and faithful. And so this is one of those places for us as, as parents and as, as those, those of you who have kids or as, as grandparents, as, as people who walk alongside students and kids and serve in kids ministry and, and hopefully soon, not hopefully, but soon we'll have some student ministry stuff that, that's gonna happen at our campus that walk alongside those guys. And we ask the Lord to keep these, in, these kids and these students safe, that in our community groups, we lock arms with one another and we pray these same prayers that Jesus, that you would keep us safe, that you would keep us secure, that God, that from the temptations of the enemy that we, that are always around us, that want to destroy our marriages, that want to destroy our kids, that we, that we're tuned in to keep them safe from those things. That we battle against an enemy that wants to kill, to steal and destroy we're not going to have, as Jason, maybe you heard me say this earlier, we're not going to have, as Jason said last week at, at, at Easter Jam, we're not going to have lions out there. But there is, and this is so corny, but there is a lion. It says that, there, that, that we have a roaring lion that seeks, that, that prowls around seeking to devour us. We have a true enemy that is always at work seeking to destroy us, to destroy our family, to destroy our faith. And so Jesus prays that they would keep them safe and not fall away and not be swept up into the world's system, but to be obedient to him. And then lastly, he prays for maturity, that they would grow up, sanctify them in verse 17, by the truth and your word is truth. As you sent me to the world, I have sent them into the world for them I sanctify myself, that they may too, they too may truly be sanctified. To be sanctified means to be set apart, right? It means to be set apart for to, to be more and more godly. What we call the, the, the part of sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like him. And what Jesus is praying is that, that he's not done with them, right? They've spent three years with him. They've been in intimate contact with him. But even now on this side of the Holy Spirit coming to be a part of them, that he's promised them in, in chapter 14 and again in chapter 16 that he's coming on this side, that there, there's still more work to be done and he's not finished with them. And he's not finished with you that there's maturity, there's still sanctification that he desires to do in our hearts, places that he wants to move in our lives and, and shape us and mold us more and more into his image. And one of the things that I, I think about, uh, Oswald Chambers write, writes this, and, and I thought about this this week, and it was just so, it was painful to kind of think about that God, think about this, this, this phrase, that God is actively working in our lives to answer this prayer that Christ prayed for us. 
that in your life, in all the circumstances, that, right? We talk about nothing can separate us from him, that he takes all things and he makes it good for his purpose, for his glory and for our good, all of those things. So actively right now in your life, God is working to answer this prayer that Jesus prayed for us, his disciples, to make us look more like him, to sanctify us, to not only to sanctify us, but to protect us and to bring unity for us, that God is actively working in our lives and all the circumstances that we're facing, all of them, even the one that you're like, not that one, yes, that one. He's using all of those things to answer this prayer. The question that I had to ask myself this week as I, as I read that quote is, am I working alongside the Father in that, in that activity or am I working against him? Where, what am I doing? Am I joining him in working in that, in that mission of, of bringing about the, that kind of life and, and, and protection and, and unity and maturity or am I working against him? Because this is what God's doing actively in our lives right now. The last thing that Jesus prays for is the future disciples. Jesus prays for the future disciples, which means not only is this a prayer of discipleship, but it's also a prayer of mission and evangelism. What's really on Jesus's heart, his disciples, that they would, that they would grow to be fully mature disciples and that they would carry the message of Christ to the lost. Right? He prays that for them. I'm not praying for them alone. I'm praying also for those who will believe through their message that they will all be one. So he goes on. And, and so uh, it, it, this fascinates me. Uh, when, and I do this, sadly, I did this yesterday. Uh, there, when, and whenever you see a picture that you know you're in, what's the first thing that you do? Look for yourself, Right? How many, of us, how many of us, you crack open your yearbook and the first thing that you do is go find your picture? We're fascinated with ourselves. And I, I think this is one of those places right here in the, in the Bible. If you wanna know where you're at in scripture, you're right here. Because if you've trusted Christ for salvation, if you've put your faith in Jesus, if you've come to that place where you realize that you're in desperate need of a savior and you have no other hope outside of, of Jesus Christ, him crucified and his death, burial and resurrection, if you've put your faith in Jesus, then you're right here. He prayed for you. And for you, maybe that you've never put, you've maybe never come to that place and you're still wrestling with what it means to trust Jesus for salvation. I'm telling you that this is the place where Jesus is praying for you. You want to know where you are in scripture? You're not David fighting Goliath. You're the ones that he's praying for right here. This is where you can find yourself. It's incredible to me just to think that, that Jesus is praying for me and for you. And it's not only that, like, listen, if you really, if it's exciting for you to know that he's praying for you, look at the person sitting next to you. If they've trusted Christ for salvation, he was praying for them. That's why unity is so important because he wasn't, you weren't the only one. He was praying for those that are around you just as much. And so right here in, in this passage of scripture, this beautiful picture of what really matters to Jesus. And that there was a mission that he sent us on, not only that we would grow, but as we have trusted Christ, but that we would continue to carry that gospel to those who would hear it because he's praying for those who have yet to experience that salvation right here in this passage as well. And 
It's a beautiful picture of what really matters to him. That prayer, prayer specifically matters to Jesus. That, that in the midst of all of this, I think sometimes, and I, I, I laugh last night uh, or a couple weeks ago, we were at, um, a couple weeks ago, Christmas. We're at Christmas stuff. It feels like it was, you know, yesterday, right? Anytime I'm at a Christmas or a family event, it's like I, I'm the guy who gets paid to pray, right? And so, like, we, before we eat, we've got to pray, right? And sometimes I feel like it's like the, that we, we just, we know we're not supposed to do this before. We're not supposed to eat until we pray. And so we, we everybody's kind of looking at me like, when are you going to ask me to do, when are you going to pray? I'm like, okay, chill out. We'll do that. And sometimes I feel like even as, as we do things on Sunday mornings that, that there's moments that we'll, we'll pause to pray and, it, and, and you guys and, and I sometimes think, well, that was just a moment so we could transition the band or transition someone from one place to the next. And the reality is that that's not the way Jesus treated prayer. Because truly in the most, in, in, in one of the most intense moments of Jesus's life, he paused and he prayed in front of the disciples. This wasn't a transitional moment from, from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. This was an intentional place that Jesus says, this is what's important to me. It's going to the Father because all the teaching that I've done and all that I'm calling you to do, it's all animated by me going to the Father and asking him to give the power to do what's, what, what needs to happen. And then in the midst of that, knowing what he prays for, he prays for himself to be able to have the strength to continue. He prays for his disciples to have unity, for them to grow and mature and to be protected. And we pray for those things and we pray for that God would bring salvation. We thank him for rescuing us and we pray that we would, that we would be those that he would send. And he's given us everything that we need to send and to share that gospel that's transformed our lives with those who have not yet heard it or not yet received it. And so what I want to do is I'm going to ask Joel to come and he's just going to kind of give us just a, a, some, some background so that we can spend a little bit of time in prayer as a, as a body and pray for the same things that Jesus prayed for. If you, I don't know if I'm going to say this eloquently enough, but if we want Jesus to answer the prayers that we prayed, then we probably should pray the prayers that Jesus prayed because we know that he values these things. And so I'm gonna pray for us and then just kind of give us some space uh, and there'll be some prayer prompts and, uh, on the screen. We've done this one other time. And so this, hopefully this kind of is, you know, this is a practice, it's a muscle that, you know, we don't use very often as, as a body. We'll just kind of give some quiet as, as, as Joel plays for us and, and just kind of guided. We'll, I'll, I'll read this prayer prompt and we'll ask you to pray for some things and just give you a little couple minutes, a couple seconds of quiet and then we'll move on to the next one but a time not only just to talk about prayer, but actually pray. There's one thing to say some words, it's another thing to actually spend some time doing what we talked about. And so that's what I'm gonna do, what we're gonna do for just a couple moments. So let's pray together and then we'll move into this time of prayer together. Jesus, we thank you for this moment and for a time that we can spend hearing from you and hearing what's really important to you hearing you pray and learning what's, what, how we can pray, how we can come to you and pray the prayers that you're praying, knowing that these are the things that you value, 
And we can trust as we call out to you for these things because you're praying for these things at the right hand of the Father today that, God, you hear them and you respond. And you had boldness when you prayed to the Father. You knew that as you were asking the Father to do these things, that he was going to do what you asked him to do. And we with boldness come before you in the same way and ask you to do these things, knowing that you'll do what we, you'll do these things because these are the same prayers that you're praying. So Father, we pray that in just this, just this quiet moment, as a body, that we don't just talk about prayer, but we actually pray that you would move in such a mighty way. We know, God, that throughout history that revivals are truly built on prayer. They're not built on preaching. They're not built on songs that are sung. They're built on prayer. Moves, mighty moves of your spirit are when your people pray and they join you in praying for the things that you value. And so God, hear our cries this morning as we come to you, hopeful and expectant, trusting in you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with someone in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.